When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to a Buckeye Talk. We haven't done one in over a week, so we're excited to get back at it. Ari is back. It's exciting. He was in Arizona in uh, the Cleveland.com West office for a while. <laughs> but we're back for a Buckeye Talk. It's Doug A. Maurice with Bill Landis and Ari Wasserman of Cleveland.com. I always say this at the beginning. I feel like it's redundant, but you have to go do it. Go to Cleveland.com and read at least six stories before you start listening to this podcast. If you're sitting at home and listening to it, you have to read at least six stories uh, and watch two videos and participate in at least one poll. Um, if you're driving, make a note to yourself to when you get home, before you talk to your family or pet your dog, go read six stories. Um, we're going to do a couple things today. Depth chart, depth chart, depth chart. You guys love depth chart. We're breaking down the depth chart in depth at cleveland.com slash OSU. We're going to talk about it a lot here. If we go long, we'll split this into two podcasts, offense and defense. If we can squeeze it into one, we will. Uh, but before we start, I want Ari Wasserman to give us a little minute-long description. He was at Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, the new Ohio State recruiting pipeline, Tate Martell, Haskell Garrett, um, more guys coming in the future. We thought Tajon Lindsay, that didn't work out. Um, Ari has a bunch of stories he's working on, but how was it, man? You got to go to Vegas to write about recruiting. It's like Ari Wasserman's two worlds crashing together. In just the most fantastic way possible. It wasn't that fantastic because I was there alone. So basically what happened was I played blackjack, lost $200, and ate a buffet until I couldn't feel my legs, went to sleep, and then woke up in midnight to you guys saying, Tyshawn Lindsay, you come in it! It sounds so good in theory. It sounds so good in theory. Because it was 2 in the morning your time. You guys were still up. I was sleeping in my food coma. But it actually worked out quite well for our coverage because... The reason why I went to Gorman was because they had three very good players committed from that class. And it turned out that the day that I went was the day that one of the biggest recruiting cycle news items of this recruiting cycle happened. So I happened to be able to go to the school the following morning. And if you guys um, saw the website or know anything about Tyjon Lindsay, we had a video and a few stories on him. And we were the only ones on the internet who had it because I just happened to be there. But... You know, moving forward, I've got a few other stories that I'm working on. Haskell Garrett gave me a tour of the weight room. I saw the facilities. I talked to the head coach, um, and it was. Just, I saw some of the uh, younger players. And I'll tell you, I went to Aquinas. I've been to Poly in Southern California. I've been to Cass Tech. I've been to Paramus, and none of those programs that I've seen with my two eyes can even. There, there might be schools in the Big Ten that don't have as nice facilities as the way Gorman does. Now, it might not be to the same large scale. They've got meeting rooms. They've got a nutrition room. 
They have a machine that like breaks down their periods. You know, like how when you're at practice, I don't know if you've ever seen an Ohio State practice, but Mickey Marotti goes, period two, period two. They have a machine that basically does it for you, and there's nobody. They don't need the human element. They've got a machine. Robots running a high school program. <laughs> yeah. And like they have like study hall sessions and indoor track speed training, and it just is an unbelievable amount of money and an unbelievable amount of resources and I talked to the head coach and he said yeah we have it so beat us and it was just they know they're the best and they act like they're the best and the coach's attitude really blew me away and I'm going to have more on that Um, I was originally going to write it for the end of this week um, but it will be a three-part series or it might be four or five depending on what I have to do and how I break it up but it's going to be in the middle of next week I've already started working on it now some good videos a good video tour and it was a really awesome trip and my hotel room at the Palms is 48 bucks (laughs) Wow. And it had a huge hot tub that you described to us. But I also ate a Snickers that cost $5, and I didn't know it was $5 till after I ate it. And I I didn't really eat that good that night. It was it was, it was was obscene. Did you expense the $5 Snickers? It was part of the hotel bill, so I just slid it in there. Nice. Because I don't know how you to You ate a Snickers in a hotel room in Vegas and didn't know it would cost $5? I mean, I knew in the back of my head... <laughs> That it was going to be more expensive, but five bucks for something that cost fifty. But you didn't, in the moment, you didn't care. You yeah, didn't. I was. I was in that moment where, like, if there's something in front of me, I'm eating it. <laughs> did you? Did you eat it in the hot tub? I didn't. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, enough. Can we talk about the depth chart now? Um, <laughs> listen, I, but actually, I'm really looking. I'm really looking forward to reading these stories. I have two quick questions. I just want to know real quick. So they recruit there. Like that's like a. It's a. It's a place where the best kids in the West come to Gorman, or is it all Vegas kids? They're all from everywhere. Okay. It's like IMG in Florida. Right. But the West Coast version of that. And I don't know, like, technically in high school football, you're not allowed to recruit. <laughs> well, technically. technically. <laughs> but, yeah, there's right. no possible way to act like – like, one of the kids said my mom got a job in Vegas, so we happened to move here. And he was from Allen, Texas. And Allen, Texas is – and I, like, I don't want to pretend like I'm saying they did anything wrong, so don't take no, it that no, way. No, 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 no. We're just talking about wh- where the kids are from. It's not just like it's the best – Happens to be where all the best kids in Vegas go to. These are the best kids from several different states. Right. They come from California, from Texas. And I was talking to the kid, and I have to um, – I said, this is really nice. Can you believe, like, you came from another high school? And I've never seen another high school like this before. And he goes, well, I came from Allen, Texas, and our stadium cost $70 million. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, but I don't think that it's a coincidence whether they recruit or whether they draw people with scholarships. Yeah. It's, you know, it the typical private schools thing. I mean, yeah, it is what yeah, it is. Yeah. We're not, we're not, we're but, like, they, they don't just happen that. to have 12 to 15 to 20 Division One athletes on one roster in some random high school in Vegas. Where's Tate Martell from? Southern California. Okay. And then the other thing is, like, it's just, and again, I don't want to give away your stuff, but this is what happens when you listen to the podcast. Yeah, we want to give it to you, it baby. First, you get it first. You get the inside poop. Um, poop? Is... <laughs> Is everybody trying to get in there? Like, is every major college program in the country trying to get in at Bishop Gorman the way Ohio State has gotten in? You know, I think that like every other program, they have different levels of kids. Not every single player on that team is good enough to go to Ohio State. So you have two tiers of programs. You know, UNLV is recruiting it. USC is recruiting it. Ohio State's recruiting it. But, like, Kansas might recruit it. And that's a random school. But, like, if there's a mid – the thing that people don't understand is that, like, really good high school football teams have two or three or four Division One players, and there's a lot of really good high school players. You know, there's a difference between Ohio State caliber and high school players that are good, right? Mm-hmm. I think that their high school caliber players are like two stars. 
And like two stars to an Ohio State fan, oh, who cares a two star? Two star is a really good player yeah. for the high school level, and I think their entire roster is made up of different levels of kids. And even like their weak their weak links might have been a three star on other rosters. Yeah, probably some Mountain West schools making hay. Right, there. right. And I'm gonna, when I do stars. the story, I'm going to look it up their last classes because on on a few of the sites it tells you where all the kids went, and like Ohio State. And the whole story I'm going to write is – I was supposed to go there and I was going to write a story about how Ohio State got in. And like the reason why they did is because they recruited Lindsay. And now ironically enough, the person that they got in with is not going to Ohio State, but he still opened the door. So I'm going to write a story about that. That's just fascinating to me how Ohio State now is more welcomed and more familiar there, which is the entire point of the story because of a person who's not even going to Ohio State. Who is now, if you didn't – Realize this. We had the story at Cleveland.com. Now going to Nebraska. Uh, Tyjon Lindsay is a top 50 overall recruit in the class of 2017 <laughs> as an H-back slot receiver. Um, but so that, so Ohio State has these kids coming in. They have more kids on the hook for later. There's a quarterback there for a future recruiting class thereafter that Ari's going to write about. So you want to make sure you're reading this stuff. You're not going to find it anywhere else. All right, listen. We're going to do depth chart. Um, as we are talking now, we've written so far about the offensive line. Bill did that. I wrote about the secondary on the defensive side. We're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. Here is an overarching thing I just want to mention as we get rolling here. So they had one senior starter last year. On the entire offense? Yeah. On the entire team. Oh, yeah. yeah Pat yeah, Elfline. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So, so then it's like, okay, so you're losing one, so you have 21 starters back. But then you lose Garyon Conley, Marshawn Lattimore, and Malik Hooker in the secondary. That's three more. Raquan McMillan at linebacker, that's uh, four. Curtis Samuel uh, at H-back, that's five. And then uh, Noah Brown at receiver is six. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the end, you're losing a total of three offensive starters, Noah Brown, Curtis Samuel, Pat Elfline, right? Mm-hmm. And you're losing a, to- a total of four defensive starters, Malik Hooker, Marshawn Lattimore, Garyon Conley, Raquan McMillan. Let me give, you, give me an overarching answer about the whole team before – we get into the nitty-gritty, starting with the offense. Are you assuming, as we sit here, that pretty much all of the guys who were starters who are returning are going to be starters again? Or are there going to be some places where there's going to be interesting competition because there's some good young guys knocking on the door? I think that the defense is probably what it was on paper last year. All the guys who started on defense should probably start next year. Um, I think the offense is, like, wide open almost, maybe with the exception of quarterback and running back and tight end. But the offensive line and the receivers, I think it's anybody's job. Like, whoever whoever wants it can take it, with the exception of, like, left tackle, Jamarco Jones is going to be there, and Billy Price is back, so he'll start either guard or center. Other than that, receiver and the three other spots on the O-line. If a young guy wants to come in and then take a job, I think he can do it. Quarterback's going to be an open competition. Is it? I just the, wanted there to be that, that, awkward, that, awkward, <laughs> that awkward silence because we had a 45-minute podcast about that one topic. Go listen to it if you're interested in that. But I think that we all agreed at the end because you can't not talk about the quarterback position. I think that we all agree that JT is going to start again next year. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> Urban Meyer was at the um, American Football Coaches Association Awards a few weeks ago, and he did a very brief interview with Joe Rexrode from the Tennessean. And Paul Meyerberg from USA Today, and he basically said JT's back, he's running the offense, and we're going to design the offense and open it up to suit his strengths. So 
that to me sounded like it's JT's job. I also I actually got a question about this on Twitter, just so you guys know. Um, we have not spoken the Ohio State media, and other than that brief interview, no one has spoken with Urban Meyer since the Fiesta Bowl. Um, last year, after they beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, we came back and like two or three days later, sort of had a wrap up thing with Urban Meyer because um, they were flying high. Yeah. You know, even though the season didn't go exactly as they wanted, they didn't make the playoff. They finished on a good note. That getting shut out by Clemson, even though they made the playoff, so it's really a better season. Making the playoff and losing is better than not making the playoff and winning, right? Everyone understands that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not surprised we haven't talked to Urban Meyer, but we haven't talked to Urban Meyer. So the hiring of Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day, the exit of Tim Beck and Ed Warner, um, some of the transfers that we've talked about, I'll, starting lineup ideas. We're going to end up talking to Urban Meyer about all of this on National Signing Day when they are signing what is going to be either the number one or number two class in the country. That's going to be on Wednesday, February 1st. We'll have a news conference for that, but we're going to have to also ask all this stuff that's not recruiting related because we haven't talked to him. I, I wish we could talk to him to deal with this other stuff so we could just talk recruiting on signing day, but that's just not going to happen. So if you're wondering why we haven't been quoting Urban Meyer, he hasn't been made available to us. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, by the way, this is going to be two podcasts. We haven't even yeah. started talking about the depth chart and the depth chart podcast and we're 12 minutes in. Can I ask a question real quick, by the way? Yeah. Did Ed Warner get fired? I don't know. Like He certainly took a worse job. He went to a worse school for a worse job. He was the co-offensive coordinator, primary play caller at Ohio State, and now he's the offensive line coach at Minnesota. I mean, obviously that wasn't by choice. But I want to ask Urban Meyer if Ed Warner got fired. And it's like I'm not trying to uh, – well, I'm not okay. It's a big boy school. I mean, people yeah. get fired in coaching all the time. I'm not going to, like, try to avoid hurt feelings. But I want Urban Meyer to say that he fired Ed Warner. Like, if you want to say that you didn't fire Tim Beck because Tim Beck went to Texas and is going to be the play caller at Texas, which he wasn't the primary play caller here, you yeah. can view that as a promotion if you want to. And I think Tim Beck had that in the, work, in the works for three weeks before it happened, which I also want to ask about because, again, this – just to be clear, if anybody wants to understand this, the offensive coaching moves did not happen because they got shut out by Clemson. They were coming anyway. They were in the yeah. works. Things were happening anyway. Urban Meyer's going to get asked about that on National Signing Day. We'll see if he answers it. Um, but I want Urban Meyer – I agree with the moves, but I think you got his man up and tell – what happened? It's like they just – they never even said anything about Ed Warner. They just hired somebody for his job, and it was like, oh, Ed Warner's not here anymore. And then they leaked it to Pete Thamel at SI so he could get out the Ed Warner thing just before they put out the official announcement about Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day so it wouldn't be weird. But, but it's like someone's got to give an answer to an actual question because Ed Warner didn't just fade away like some ghost in a hallway that disappeared. Well, Kevin – because. The the Kevin Wilson stuff was out before PJ Fleck got hired at Minnesota, right? It wasn't official, but everyone knew it was going to happen. Yeah. So there was a time where they had ten assistants on the books before they knew what Ed Warner was going to do because Ed Warner wasn't going to go coach for Tracy Clays at Minnesota, whoever would have been hired other than PJ Fleck. So there was like a weird limbo period there where they had ten assistants where you only allowed to have nine. 
I don't think you get to hire a new coach without explaining how you got rid of the old one. Right? Yeah, is that fair? Don't you have to don't you have to explain that? It didn't just magically happen. Everything always magically happens at Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not criticizing the move. I I called for it. I agree with the move. But let's just make sure everybody mans up and talks about what's what, you know? So yeah. Again, I mean, they get paid a lot of money. Coaches get fired and hired and it's a crazy crazy business. And I know that there are real people and real feelings and real families involved, but you signed up for it, and when I get fired someday by Cleveland.com, I'll, you know, they'll have to answer questions about it. What exactly did Doug do wrong? Spell it out. <laughs> I think it might be on news, Doug. <laughs> okay. 15 minutes into the podcast, we'll finally start talking about the uh, offensive depth chart. So we decided that we're going one first, right? How many? in One podcast, I mean. No, no it's going to be two. I mean, sorry, one at a time is what I meant. Yeah, like, one okay, so which one are we doing? Offense so we're doing defense? offense. So since Bill already wrote about it, Let's start with the offensive line. And then let's go – I don't want to go position by position. Just ask random questions and we'll, we'll come to a conclusion at the end. Okay. Here's one thing I want to talk about right away because Ari has been talking about this a lot. Michael Jordan, as a true freshman, played and started every game, played basically every snap practically the whole year. And when we saw him get hurt against Clemson at left guard, you saw what happened. There was an issue for a little bit. I think Demetrius Knox was better than Then Michael Jordan came back in. Uh, with an injury and played with the injury. Urban Meyer repeated it at the Fiesta Bowl before the Fiesta Bowl. If you are starting a true freshman on the offensive line, something went wrong. Everybody wanted to couch this when it happened as like, what a great, wonderful thing. I wrote it at the time. It's not a great, wonderful thing. It's a problem. That is not what should be happening. Michael Jordan, as a true freshman, should not have started for Ohio State this year. Considering the fact that he had to and he did, good job by Michael Jordan. Here's the question. Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis. Two freshman incoming guys on this offensive line who are higher rated than Michael Jordan was a year ago. Ari and Bill, is there any chance that Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis are going to compete to start on Ohio State's offensive line in 2017? And if not, how do you see them working into the depth chart and where? And if you want to explain a little bit exactly who Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis are, for the people who don't 100% know, feel free to do that. We, You can start because you did the depth chart. Okay. Um, but we had a back and forth a little bit, so I think it'll be interesting to kind of talk it out when we what yeah. we talked about the thing. So the thing about Myers is that he's rated as a tackle everywhere, but I think everyone assumes that he's going to play guard at Ohio State. Now that doesn't mean much because Michael Jordan was recruited as a tackle and he started at left guard last year. Um, but I just think in the future, Josh Myers' future is at guard, and Wyatt Davis is a guard as well. Um, it's complicated. I think they can both compete for starting spots, but some like shuffling has to happen. Because you have Malcolm Pridgen. Wait, 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 wait. He changes the whole thing, though. No, I know, but I just want to know. It's going to be complicated. Let's try to keep focused. I want to know what you guys think of Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers. And then Malcolm Pridgen is like a 10-minute discussion on his own. I think they're both good enough to start. Because I think when you say that starting an offensive lineman is a problem 95% of the time, that's true. It's not true, I think, in the case of guys like Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis. Really? And five-star, top 10 national prospects at their position. And you did some research on this for Michael Jordan's story last year, right? Right. How, what did you find in terms of at major programs, true freshmen starting on the offensive line? How, wasn't uh, it, it was Alabama had a guy? Alabama, Alabama. Did clubs have a guy this year? Yes. Um, and Alabama has done it. Like, I believe Cam Robinson started as a true freshman, and now he's going to – he played, started three years, has gone to the draft. He was the number one tackle in the country. Um, Greg Greg Little, is that his name? Ole Miss? Or, yeah. 
He started as a true freshman. It happens. I think Laramie Tunsil started as a true freshman. The guy's that good, it's hard to keep him off the field. And it's the, not the ideal path, but... Davis and Myers are that good? I That's what we're talking about? I went down. I, Davis, I, I know way less that? about Davis, Davis than is the I know number about one guard in the country. But Davis is ranked number one, and I think that Myers is number nine overall in the country, right? No. Davis is ranked nationally, I believe, higher than Josh Myers. Here's the thing. Okay, just 247 sports overall, just as a point of information. Davis, number 24 overall player, um, number one guard, and Josh Myers, number 54 overall player, number 11 tackle, number one player in Ohio. All these rankings are subjective. He has moved, quote, down a little bit, hasn't he? Wasn't he ranked? Myers higher? was a five-star two days ago, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, whatever. Is he not now? No, they, they updated it. Now he's not. He's a four-star. Yeah, but we go by the composite, right? Yeah. But I think the composite, the composite has him as a four-star because he went, I think, like, 247 had him as a five-star, and Rivals has him as a four-star, so he's doesn't matter. It's whatever. splitting hairs. He's Both a top 50 national. I went and I saw Josh Myers in, in person. And that guy's upper body looks like the front of an F-150 truck. <laughs> and I don't know. That kid got an Alabama offer his freshman year. And I think there are certain players, regardless of what the ratings are or however people want to put it, that are meant to be different. And Michael Jordan was not one of those guys in high school, and he started as a freshman, which is why I think that it seemed and was a problem. They were telling Michael, or they were telling Josh Myers during the recruitment process that he is good enough to play as a freshman. And I don't think that's something that they tell a lot of offensive linemen. And I think that Wyatt Davis is similarly rated, and he might be, I just don't know as much about him as I do about Myers because he lives in California. But what I saw with Myers was a guy who's very fast, who's incredibly strong. His body looks like he's been in a college weight program for three years. He's about as physically as advanced as a offensive line prospect as I've ever seen covering recruiting. Does that mean that he's good enough to start? I don't know. But I do know that Ohio State doesn't – they have openings. They have they have weaknesses. They have issues. They only have – they have four starters back, but yet I think that's the interesting point here is they have openings. Yeah. And that's why when you, when you discuss the idea of did everybody who start last year, will they start again? I think on the offensive line specifically, more so than any other position, and maybe wide receiver, those are the two position groups in the entire team that I think that is debatable at the most. Okay, so let me throw it out for 10 seconds as an agreement or disagreement. Two spots on the offensive line where we know for 100% certainty who's starting next year. Is that correct? I think, yeah, basically. Like Jamarco, Jamarco Jones is starting a left tackle, and Billy Price is starting. You think it's a possibility he's not 100% going to be the center? He might stay at guard? Yes. Okay. So Jamarco Jones and Billy Price. Billy Price was an All-American. He's going to be a fifth-year returning starter. He's going to be in the Pat Elfline role. Um, was a captain this year. will be a captain again. Jamarco Jones, very good year, Bill. Good year at left yeah, tackle. second-team All-Big Ten. Yeah. So two guys who had really good years who are going to be sure starters. The reason I think this is so interesting is there are no – you know, I don't necessarily think that there's guys – who are already here, who are suddenly going to beat out Michael Jordan or Isaiah Prince, that Demetrius Knox or Matt Burrell or Tyler Gerald or some of these guys who are already here and did beat them out this year are suddenly going to beat them out next year. That's not what I'm saying. But I think the three names that throw monkey wrenches into, are we sure all the returning starters will start, 
are Myers and Davis as huge recruit true freshmen, and then the man that Bill Landis, I swear to God, could do a four-hour podcast <laughs> just on this guy. He was the guy you mostly wrote about in your offensive line breakdown. He was a priority for you to talk to him at the Fiesta Bowl. Tell people about Malcolm Pridgen. Again, give him the little bio for people who don't know him. And tell, and then I want the Bill Landis prediction, will Malcolm Pridgen be starting on the offensive line when Ohio State opens the season at Indiana on a Thursday night on August 31st, 2017? Okay, so Pridgen was in the 2016 recruiting class, junior college guy uh, from Long Island. I forget the name of his junior college. Remember the name of his junior college? I'll look it up. Bill, I thought you knew all this. No, I just know he's from, he's from, his junior college is on Long Island. I forget what it's called. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He was a late add to the 2016 Nassau. class. Nassau. 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 <laughs> Nassau. Nassau County Community College. Um, late add to the 2016 class, and I think, if, if I remember correctly, Ever Meyer describing it, it was a guy that Ed Warner really liked, and then Greg Stoudrawa came in and really liked him well, and they sort of lobbied to get him added to the class late. And he was, and he came to Ohio State, and he arrived in May, went through camp. I think we all assumed that he was probably going to be a starter on the offensive line last year because they had holes, and he was a junior college guy, and you don't go get JUCO guys usually unless you think they're going to start. And then he got hurt in August, a knee injury that kept him out for the entire season. He didn't get healthy until December, participated some in bowl practice. He told me he was about 80% in bowl practice, but not anywhere near really ready to play, although he did dress in the Fiesta Bowl for the first time all year, which I thought was interesting. Um, But he told me he came to Ohio State with intentions of starting at tackle, which I found interesting because I I assumed, and I'm imagining others assumed too, that he was probably going to start at guard if he came because we knew that Isaiah Prince and Jamarco Jones were back, presumably at tackle, and the the hole was at guard because Chase Farris left. Um, But then he couldn't play. So the thing that makes it interesting for me is that he's like a multi-positional guy. And if tackles where he's most comfortable, I think he can play guard. He said he's had talks about possibly playing center. Um, I think he starts. I don't know where. And that's what throws the wrench in the whole thing. But if you ask me right now today, do I think Malcolm Pridgen's going to be a starter on Ohio State's offensive line? I say yes. So you think he's, in the end, competing both with Michael Jordan at guard and Isaiah Prince at tackle? Yeah. And possibly there's a scenario where they feel like the best lineup is Billy Price staying at guard and Pridgen playing center. Yeah, the thing that like I don't know how big Billy Price is. Malcolm Pridgen is six foot six or six foot seven. He's a big dude. He seems like a little tall to be the guy who's going to be standing directly in front of your quarterback, especially when your quarterback is six foot one and JT Barrett. Um, not that Billy Price is a small man, but he's small in comparison to Malcolm Pridgen. So I'd be surprised if Pridgen played center, but I think it's 50-50 guard or tackle. And I think he's definitely in line to either take that open guard spot, beat out Isaiah Prince, or beat out Michael Jordan. I know that's been an issue, I think, uh, with the Browns, that they think Cam Irving is too tall oh, really? to be a center. So I know uh, being tall is is not the best thing. Billy Price is, was listed at 6'4", yeah. as a recruit, two inches shorter than that. Um, so do you want to go across the board? So, yeah, why don't you tell people, uh, Bill, you did the projection. Who yeah. was your projection, at least your... Uh, start. For the starting lineup. For the starting lineup on the offensive line. Okay, so it was Jamarco Jones at left tackle, Michael Jordan at left guard, Billy Price at center, Pridgen at right guard, and Isaiah Prince at right tackle is who I had as the projected starting line before spring ball. And I think that is, for lack of a better – not conservative, 
But I think that's the most logical thing. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know if I 100% think that's what actually is going to happen. No, nor do I. But, I mean, it's hard. I did sort of the same thing in the secondary of, you know, I wrote a lot about Jordan Fuller, but then I ended up projecting him to not start because I wasn't going to knock Damon Webb out of a starting spot that he started at this year. And you sort of lean toward the older guys and stuff like this until there's proof. But there are younger guys coming. Um, last thing on the offensive line before we make it an all-offensive line podcast – Beyond Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and Malcolm Pridgen, who are three new names to add to four returning starters, mm-hmm. give us one more name to watch of a guy who could compete in the spring and in preseason to start and, and then maybe wind up on the two deep. And um, I think I know who you're going to say because you mentioned this guy before that you liked him. Is it Tyler Gerald? It is Tyler Gerald. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about him. and like, I'm not going to pretend like I do, but... We talk about guys like Demetrius Knox and Matthew Burrow. Like they got passed by a true freshman last year, and maybe they can get better. And Knox was the backup this year. We saw that in the Fiesta Bowl. But Tyler Gerald being beat up by Michael Jordan doesn't tell me a whole lot because they were both freshmen last year. Um, Gerald was an early enrollee, if I'm not mistaken, in the 2016 class. He's been around for for a while. Um, he was a highly rated guy. He played at IMG. Um, I think he was a top ten guy at his position, four star prospect. Um, if he were to take the the leap this season in spring ball and be in a competition for one of the starting guard spots, I think that's possible. And at the very least, I think maybe he's in the two deep by the time we get to the start of the season. Recruiting profile was 6'5", 300 pounds, uh, the number eight offensive guard overall in the class of 2016, number 163 overall player, according to 247 Sports. So again, this always happens. We're as guilty of it as anybody. Um, I laugh at myself. I laugh at us when we do it. I laugh at other people when they do it. It's it's hard not to. Sometimes you got to remind yourself. It's like here we are. We're talking about Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and Tyler Gerald, guys who have literally never played because Gerald redshirted this year. And are they going to beat out these guys who are returning starters? And Isaiah Prince was absolutely every bit of a, the prospect that these guys were. I mean, again, he wasn't quite a five star. Wasn't quite. But Isaiah Prince was a huge get for them. And then he got here, and he started as a true sophomore, which is pretty good. And all anybody did was criticize him all year, including us. Um, but he, he had a decent Fiesta Bowl, did he not? Much improved, considering who they played, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those It's possible that, like, in two years, like, he's going to be the best player on their offensive line. That's yeah. how it yeah. works, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's like, oh, Isaiah Prince is, is two years older than these guys, or at least one year older, has 13... Four, 13 games of starting experience, and it's like, oh, he's not good enough. Maybe Wyatt Davis, will, who's in high school right now, will beat him out. I mean, it's, you know, it's the way the game is played. Okay. Let's run through one that is quick. We're going to save the receivers for last because we're going to keep you hanging in there. Ooh, it's going to happen at receiver. It's exciting. Is Mike Weber the number one tailback next year? Like, bell cow tailback? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I don't yep. know. Yeah, I, don't know I mean, I don't know who. I mean, I mean, like Antonio, Antonio Williams, Williams, J.K. Dobbins, I don't know if he's a tailback or not, if he's an H-back, but, like, Mike Weber's a guy. Yes, right? I think yes. so, yeah. yeah. Okay. And J.T. Barrett's starting quarterback, right? Yes. All right, so that's we just did five offensive line positions. We got did a tailback, that's six. We got a quarterback, that's seven. Let's do tight end. Marcus Boss coming back. There was some speculation, just sort of stuff floating during the year. Maybe he would be a guy that would declare for the NFL draft. We thought maybe that was a possibility. He kind of gave like a sort of very low-key, like, yeah, I'm staying kind of yeah. thing. Um, 
the guy probably that I was most wrong about of any of the true freshmen of guy, a guy that I thought would have a chance to make an impact as a true freshman and then literally did not play a snap was Jake Houseman. Mm-hmm. Um, does Jake does Jake Houseman work in more next year? They had, they had two guy, tight ends who redshirted in this class, Jake Houseman and Luke Farrell, um, both highly rated guys, Houseman especially. Do you think there's room for him to get on the field next year? I mean, they'd have AJ Alexander was number two tight end last year, which was surprising to everyone. I think. Um, I don't know if there's room. I think they need to make room for Jake Hausman to play, just based on what we know about him coming out of high school. I don't know. Do you think he's going to have an increased role this year, Ari? I can't imagine him go through another season where Jake Hausman's not on the field. I know it's just hard because like Jake Hausman wasn't. It's so hard because like everybody's supposed to play as a freshman. None of them are supposed to play as a freshman. But Jake Hausman was a very complete prospect at the time, and now he's got two guys in front of him who are who are really good. I don't know. Is really good a stretch? I don't know. I don't think Marcus Boz is good as Jeff Hyerman or Nick Bennett. I mean, no. is not which is not a, a slam. The, those guys were third round picks in the NFL draft. Yeah. After like not getting the ball at Ohio State, I mean, I thought both of those guys it's just like it's one were guys you could throw it to. Who also were good blockers. I think Marcus Ball you could throw it to this year. I think maybe he's not quite the blocker, at least that Hireman was. No. Hireman was a really good blocker. Yeah, I think I think Marcus Ball has a game that's more suited to pro football than he does to college, especially Ohio State's offense. Um and those guys Vinette and Hireman seem much more willing blockers, I think, than Marcus Ball was. Jake Hausman was the number four tight end prospect by two two four seven sports in the class of two thousand sixteen, the number twenty one two one. Number 121 overall recruit in the country uh, got here and redshirted the whole season. So, you know, I mean, he's he, he's he got all the stuff, uh, right? I mean, you went and did a story on him when he was in high yeah. school. He seemed to have the whole package, it's huge. Right? I There's just don't know the path. when you, it's, it's, it's a linear, singular, one-person position. Unless you're going to play two tight ends. And there's like double-tight packages, but who was on the field on the Michigan play? AJ Alexander. AJ Alexander's you know, like, butt. Yeah. So I don't know. No, AJ Alexander did his job this year as the number two tight end. Yeah, I mean, he, he did what he's supposed to do. Rotation, okay. tight end rotation. I don't, don't know. forget about Luke Farrell and no, I know Kier Hawkins. Like those guys are also tight ends. Yeah, that's a lot of tight ends for one team. What do we always say? Too many good players. Yeah, too many too good players. Many good players. Go Bucks. Um, <laughs> you should tell them you're joking. Cause yeah. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to cut out that by literally saying go Bucks. I don't mean that. Some other people do. Okay, listen. Um, <laughs> receiver. Receiver, receiver, receiver. They're losing the guy who caught every pass. And sometimes I don't even like to think of it this way. I don't like to think of the H-back as a receiver. I can think of the H-back as an H-back. But we got to talk about it in there because he caught every – Curtis Samuel was the only person who could catch. Yeah. The, the whole – it was their whole passing game. So, yeah, he's a receiver. So they're losing Curtis Samuel, um, who I think is going to be a really fun, interesting NFL player. Of almost every guy – we just sat, saw uh, Ohio State players have a really good rookie class in the NFL. Joey Bosa was the defensive rookie of the year. Ezekiel Elliott was the offensive rookie of the year. Michael Thomas was an all-rookie. Taylor Decker was all-rookie. Curtis Samuel, I'm fascinated to see what he's going to be like in the NFL and how quickly he can contribute. Um, he's gone. Noah Brown left early, uh, was their number one outside receiver. He's gone. 
what is this group going to look like? Let's make it hard right off the bat. Give me the three people who will line up for the first play of the season as the two starting outside receivers and the starting H-back on August 31st, Thursday night at Indiana. Who will they be? The three star- the three, three the first three guys on the field, starters. including the H back. Did you say including the H back? Yeah, like how they line up. Um, they got the H, yeah, H in the slot, two outside guys. H Demario McCall. Oh, dollar B. No, I, I think does Bill agree with that? No, I disagree. I want to hear your three because I think my three might be completely different from your three. I think Austin Mack, Paris Campbell. That's three. And Demario McCall at H. Okay, my three are Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, and KJ Hill. Will be the three starting receivers. Who's your H? KJ Hill. KJ Hill's at H. I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna say Paris Campbell, Ben Victor, and Demario McCall mm. as my three. That's kind of like, uh, so basically we gave you no information. No. Okay, so let's talk about, before we talk about the new guys and the guys who haven't played, Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin are the two guys coming back now, and K.J. Hill. They're the three, they're the three veterans in this look now. K.J. Hill caught the first touchdown pass of the season, right? Wasn't it KJ Hill? Yeah. Miss Bullet Green? Out of a slot, like straight to the middle of the field. Like, uh, when Curtis Samuel's having a, a year like he had ahead of you, it's going to be hard to get on the field. Plus, when Dontre Wilson was still healthy for the first half of the year, they worked Dontre in a lot. KJ Hill was clearly the third H back, mm-hmm. but he did have a role. He Beyond that touchdown, he caught another big He had another big one in a big game. I can't remember. Nebraska, I think. Yeah. Or no. Who did they. Did he find his. I can't remember. I remember saying something to his parents that he had a really good catch in a game along the sideline. I think he didn't score, but he got down to like the five yard line or something. Maybe it was Nebraska. It was a home. I think he had a big catch against Michigan too. Okay, so KJ Hill made a contribution. KJ Hill did his job this year when given the opportunity. He scored the first touchdown of the year. Yeah, KJ Hill did his job. Um, so are those three guys? Paris Campbell again, more of a blocker. We know he does other things. Uh, Terry McLaurin. It seems like a really good guy. They just haven't had playmakers there. Can well, they play, are those three guys going to get the benefit of the doubt in this competition because they're again talking about returning starters. Paris Campbell's a returning starter. Yeah. Right? Is he going to start? KJ Hill's not a returning starter, but he's as the most experienced there. How much benefit of the doubt will the veteran receivers get in terms of starting slash overall playing? I don't think Terry McLaurin's going to get any benefit of the doubt. Let me say something real quick. Your question was who's going to start, not who's going to be the most productive, the most used, the most targeted, whatever. Who's going to start? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Campbell I mean, and McLaurin are guys who do everything that's asked of them. They block well. They do all the things that Evermeyer likes. Evermeyer loves them. I think Ben Victor might catch 60 passes next year. Now, he listen, won't be on the field for the no, first snap. No, I took snap. start, not his no, first I snap. I took start as who are going to be the No, receiver. but by the way, you are f- forbidden from making predictions on receivers and number of listen, passes they catch. How many passes did you say Noel Brown was I said he was catch 70. He called 37, <laughs> but someone did catch 70. <laughs> That's true. The reason why I think... We didn't know Curtis Samuel was going to be this no. guy, did we? I think... Oh, no. no. I think that's Curtis Samuel is the individual reason why they went to the playoff. But we don't want to talk about the past. I think that McLaurin is a step behind Paris Campbell. I've heard Urban Meyer say that Paris Campbell does everything right multiple times. I don't really think that he 
McLaren played a lot. Yeah. Played a whole lot. There needs to be a substitution from who are the good guys that do everything the right way to who's the guy who's going to get you in the end zone. And I just don't think that those two guys together um, are the answer to that question. So uh, They're going to play. I'm not saying they're not going to play. They're going to like. They're going to rotate receivers, though. Yeah, I don't to. doubt that. They're going to ro- they're going to rotate receivers, but I, I tell you, where their top cr- targets are, I don't think their top targets are going to be Campbell and, and McLaurin. It is a crazy no, neither do I. Receiver group. Let's run through the receiver group really quick for people. Looking at the scholarship chart that you can find, here's what you should do. After you read six stories at Cleveland.com, Type in Ohio State football scholarship chart and Cleveland.com mm-hmm. in, into the Google machine and go find this and just look at it. It has uh, nice clean lines. Mm-hmm. Bill and Ari update it like the second something happens with the roster. It just got updated because uh, of, of a move. Um, it's at, As we speak, it's at uh, 77 scholarship players, um, which includes the early enrolled guys, yep. plus 10 Recruits who are not early enrolled, so they're at 87. They have to be at 85, so we, and they're going to add a couple more recruits. Let's run through the receivers really quick, just on our chart, because I'd like to look at this chart because it's so beautiful. Uh, seniors, James Clark, who just, you know, has been a guy who hasn't ever done anything wrong, but has never broken out as a playmaker, has had a couple chances to make plays, has been a guy who's been here. Um, Juniors, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, who RAU talked to and certainly is a candidate to maybe be a guy that is not on this roster uh, next season with the injury issues he's had. Um, Just tell the people in 20 seconds what you talked to about with Johnny Dixon. Uh, How about five seconds? He goes, I'm going to be playing next year. I just don't know where. Okay. So he may not be here. Uh, We don't like to have guys talk about guys transferring before they transfer. It's their lives. But that's what he said to Ari, so that's a real thing. Um, so he's a third junior, and the fourth guy on our junior chart is Superman. <laughs> I'm going to write about him. I talked to Eric Glover Williams at length um, at the Fiesta Bowl back when he was a quarterback and a special teams guy. We talked about then playing offense, and then he tweeted hashtag Zone Six, and then I tweeted back at him like, "Hey, we were just talking about this at the Fiesta Bowl," and then he. Uh, Give me a little heart on nice. this tweet. So that's my reporting now. <laughs> Guy tweets like vague thing. I make somewhat vague comment back to him, and he favorites it, and I take it as information. So um, Eric Lever Williams is a guy who was dynamic with the ball in his hands, and do you think he can make a difference? Can he contribute at H? Yeah, I think so. You have to think back to when he was at Canton McKinley, and he was basically a wildcat quarterback. He's pretty dynamic with the ball in his hands. I don't know how good of a pass catcher he is, but as a guy who – could take jet sweeps and, and take some handoffs. I think he'd be pretty good. All right, so that's um, five guys we've lifted so far. Now we're to the sophomores. Alex Stump is just a guy who just has not really seen the field yet. Um, He's been hurt, too. Been hurt. K.J. Hill, they're both redshirt sophomores, so this will be their third year's second year of eligibility. Uh, Austin Mack and Ben Victor, um, who we both think have a chance to do big things. They were both big receiver recruits here. Then the true freshman – um, Brendan White, who is all of a sudden maybe a receiver, also did some hashtag zone six stuff, right? Yeah, I updated that today as we're recording this. He is, I asked this of the uh, sports information director, Jerry Emig, what position is Brendan White? Because we thought he was going to be a linebacker. He tweeted zone six, just like Eric Lover Williams. And I said, what position is Brendan White? He said, he is an athlete. So I think we're operating under the assumption that he's, for right now, a receiver. 
I don't know if that's temporary or permanent, but we have them there now. And then Trayvon Grimes and Jalen Harris, two huge names coming in uh, as part of this 2017 recruiting class. Um, Ari, give us the breakdown on whether you think, again, we, we like to, just like Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, no matter how big the recruits are at a place like Ohio State, it's just not normal. We thought maybe Austin Mack would be a guy who could come in and play as a true freshman. Bill wrote about him a lot. All the wide receiver coaching, how sophisticated he was as a receiver prospect for a high school kid, did nothing this year. So if Austin Mack did nothing in a receiver group that didn't have many playmakers, and that's, I mean, it's just, it's just a reality. Austin Mack may have a great career here. I think we all think he has a chance to do that. He just didn't do it this year, which just only shows how hard it is for a true freshman. Ari, Jalen Harris, and Trayvon Grimes, can they help this team in 2017? I always like struggle because the idea of how hard it is for freshmen to play has always been a real thing, and it's not debatable. It's impossible to play, basically. The recruits we're talking about on a large scale are highly rated guys that are highly rated than all these guys have ever been. It's the best recruiting class and the best caliber of prospect they've ever brought. And I'm curious to see if the level of talent they're bringing in is such is a big enough step forward where they have to play them. Because Raekwon McMillan was like this, and what did he do? He played as a freshman. And if you bring in six Raekwon McMillan-type prospects, well, that means six types. And I'm not saying start, but like play. Because Raekwon McMillan as a freshman actually had a real role mm-hmm. uh, on the defense. So, I don't know about Grimes. Trayvon Grimes, you saw his film. But what did you think of his film? Monster. Absolute monster. But he's coming off of a knee injury, the kind of the way. And I wrote about this already uh, when I was in Phoenix. But um, he injured his knee the same week as Nick Bosa injured his knee. Same exact injury, same exact week, same exact high school, same exact therapist. So he's on the same course. Of course, there are different bodies, and they're built completely different, and they play different positions. But the plan is to do the Nick Bosa plan with Trayvon Grimes, and that is to rehab over the summer, come in ready for fall camp, be limited at the beginning of fall camp, and work his way towards a a role. I think that might limit him to getting on the field. As good as he is, five-star prospect, top five receiver in the country, I think knee injuries make it a little bit harder. You need to be full go, early enrollee, ready to go from the beginning. And did Nick Bosa early enroll? I can't no. remember, but no. uh, he did. But um, I think Jalen Harris also. We covered Jalen Harris. Shout out to Matt Gould, who covered him um, for Cleveland.com up there. The uh, um, that kid changed his body. He does not look the same now that he did ten months ago when I first met him. And you saw the video um, of his commitment. If you didn't, we had an exclusive video of him. Go watch it. Kid's a monster, six foot five. He's unlike anybody outside of Ben Victor. And I've noticed, and we had a conversation on the phone yesterday, was since Ohio State lost a verbal commitment from Tyjon Lindsay, who was 5'9", 160, the offers that they've gone out to are all six foot four higher. Or six foot one and then two six foot four. All right? pro, They're all prototypical receiver builds. Receiver builds. Yeah. And I think that there might feel like there might be a lack of those types of guys on this team because Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell are not that. No. And I think that Jalen Harris could fill a niche but might not play because Ben Victor fills the same one. Trayvon Grimes, number 39 overall recruit uh, in this class, according to 247 Sports. He's 6'3", 202. That's what he's listed at. Jalen Harris, number 186 overall recruit by 247 Sports, listed at 6'5", 210. 
and again, Bill, you, you wrote about this before. You were out in front on this. They had so many guys here who were playing receiver who weren't high school receivers. These are two more guys yeah. who are absolutely – nobody. they're not coming in as athletes and skilled kids who you're not sure where they're going to fit. These are receivers. Yeah, who should require, in theory, a little less polishing, I guess, if that's the way you want to call it, than some of the other guys they've tried to move from running back or quarterback or whatever to receiver. But – Again, that doesn't guarantee anything because, like you said, Austin Mack didn't play really at all last year at receiver. So let's just talk for one second about like the 2018 or 19 uh, <laughs> receiver depth chart. Here's what I think I like. If your top four receivers are Ben Victor, Austin Mack, Trayvon Grimes, and Jalen Harris, that sounds like a passing game. Yeah. Sounds like uh, Clemson's passing game. That's four kids – with size and skill, who were receivers for years, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty good to me. It's what they haven't done, right, Bill? It's completely different from everything they've done since Urban Myers. Like they had. A you said bit something of funny yesterday. Do you think that they're overdoing it now and not getting? Well, that's the problem. It's like, <laughs> are they it's like overcompensating? The thing, the thing that I talked with Zach Smith about this last spring, and I wrote the story before the season started. He said when we got to Ohio State, we didn't have that speedy slot receiver type guy. So they went out and got a bunch of them and didn't recruit any of the Ben Victor types for four years. And now like they're flipping back the other way and taking only Ben Victor types and not taking any of the speedy slot receiver guys. But And they had a balance, and Lindsey decommitted, and that kind of threw it off. And they moved Eric Glover-Williams, so that's kind of like adding a recruit in the slot. Um, but I think you want – if you're going to take three receivers or three-plus receivers, I think you want the majority of those guys to be more the Ben Victor type than the slot receiver type. It's going to be interesting uh, as they do this going forward. Are there H-back slot receiver guys? Because the slot receiver is your H-back in this offense, mm-hmm. what they call it. Are they going to be more coming from the receiver room or from the running back room? Because Curtis Samuel was a running back who became their H, mm-hmm. right? And, and Mike Weber and Curtis Samuel played at the same time. Um, K.J. Hill is a receiver at H. Demario McCall is a running back. At H. And again, it's just you have to make sure Curtis Samuel worked on his hands, worked on his hands, made himself absolutely a very good receiver. I don't even remember. Does that, did Curtis Samuel drop a pass? There was one at Wisconsin that hit him in the hands. Yeah, really, he dropped a couple. I mean, that was a really tough catch. But yeah, but I think his, his no. I mean, the point that you're making though is that he was a it very wasn't a, it wasn't polished receiver. Yeah, yeah. And so dynamic with the ball in his hands, you could. I I almost like it as much as we said we're saying we want them to have receivers that are receivers. I kind of like it when your H is a running back because I love when the H can motion into the backfield and you can handle the ball. I think your best H, you have to be able to hand it to Which a tailback yeah, at The reason times. why I put McCall there. Yeah, that's a good point because K.J. Hill, is, not, from what we've seen anyway, is not an inside ball carrier. I asked him if he could be. He said yes, but I don't think we've ever seen that. So to that point, maybe McCall is the more likely guy well, to Well, it's there. one of those things. I mean, they did use Dontre Wilson at H. And he would go move into the backfield every now and then. But you weren't – and he did get the ball maybe a handful of times, but you weren't going to hand the ball to Dontre Wilson and have him run between Pat Alfline and And the Billy question Price. about that, though, is that was Curtis Samuel just so unique that they were able to do that or is right. that the standard? Because that's – again, that's not what Percy Harvin did. He was getting the well, ball. I think, he wasn't but you have, to have, you have to have the threat, though. Because like if you if you line up K.J. Hill in the backfield with the intention of motioning him in the slot – and the defense knows you never hand the ball off to KJ Hill, then you like lose your advantage. Yeah. So yeah, the the threat to run has to be there. Curtis Samuel, boy, good guy, good player, huh? Yeah. Boy, he really. Shame that you know, he the ball more. 
<laughs> I was going to make a joke about asking if Ari knew what an H back was. Uh, that's a, it's overdone. Let's just move on. <laughs> but but really good. In the end, really, uh, I don't think they, they they didn't bat a hundred percent with how they used him. Boy, was he a great guy for this offense. Mm-hmm. And if they just could have had, I mean, it's like one of those things. If you can going forward, I mean, again. You, they're going to win another national title here under Urban Meyer at some point. They've already won a national title. They're they're a great team, but like when you think about what this offense really should be, I mean, if if these those four receivers I was just talking about down the road, if those are your top four receivers, if you can have those four receivers as the guys you're rotating through two spots on the outside, and then you have a Curtis Samuel type at H back, boy, that's it. That's the pairing, right? McCall, yeah, that's the pairing. The one thing that's like. And we don't have to delve into it because it would add another hour to the podcast. We're talking about this offensive depth chart and who can play where, particularly at the skill positions, under the assumption that it's going to look much like it's looked the last five years. It's possible that Kevin Wilson like puts a pretty different spin on this offense. And really? very well, like he Kevin Wilson's offenses in Indiana and Oklahoma were and Northwestern were awesome. Didn't really have the H back kind of guy. So I'm curious to see how that sort of fits into what he wants to do. More just three three outside receivers? Right. And, like, he had very productive slot receivers, but it wasn't like Mitchell Page, who was their slot receiver this year, wasn't coming into the backfield and running the ball inside. Like, it's it's a little bit different. So I think you're going to see a combination of what Wilson wants to do and what Urban likes to do. But it's possible maybe that the H-back isn't quite as featured as it was last year. Interesting. I kind of have this weird theory. And Curtis Samuel was a really good H-back, but sometimes I feel like it can be very distracting to the offense. I know that that sounds weird. He was too good. Not this past year, but in years past, their H-back has been a distraction and not... It's been something that they feel forced to have to be involved with. And I think that yeah. the Ohio State's offense is best with a downfield passing attack complemented by a very good running attack. Which is what Wilson does. So, and it's not, not, and it's not so much of the finicky... It. You know, and I'm not saying that what Curtis Samuel did was tricky, but I'm just saying when you get there's the H back puts you in a situation where you have more options to get cute when you shouldn't. Well, I guess which is why I think in the end too, like we always clamored for Curtis Samuel to get the ball more because that's Urban Meyer's offensive philosophy: is power running game, downfield throwing. They just didn't have the downfield throwing this year, but it's not run 40 plays for your H back, which is why like we asked all year for Curtis Samuel to get the ball more, and he only ended up getting it 15 times a game because that's the plan. But but they do. I mean, he does also. You're right. I mean, that that absolutely is what he wants to do. But he also wants to extend the wants to play sideline to sideline horizontally yeah. and and take up every bit of those 53 and a half yards uh, and play in space. And they need. I think the H back when the H back can do that in jet sweeps or just stretch plays or or sweeps or whatever in the run game or um, sh- short passes in the pass game. Mm-hmm. Um, to make the defense respect that. So then, I mean, it's like an accordion. Like the H-back can stretch it out sideline to sideline. Then you hand it to a power running back who pops him up the middle. And then you throw over the top to a deep guy. I mean, it's like out, middle, over, out, middle, over. And that, they, they certainly didn't have all those facets working this year. Right. It's mostly just Samuel, 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 Samuel. But I do think, in the end, I think I agree with what you guys are saying in that if the main things are hand it to a running back, to Mike Weber or Ezekiel Elliott or Carlos Hyde, lean on them, pound teams with that, hit it 
to Devin Smith or Michael Thomas or a guy like that who the defense is scared of 15, 20, 30 yards down the field. And then the third complimentary thing is, as you're trying to deal with that, now here comes this fast guy, this dynamic guy that you can hand it to or throw it to underneath as the H-back. It's, you can't stop it. Right? You know, Also quarterback draws. The one thing that you've mentioned, Doug. 30 times. <laughs> the thing that Ohio State doesn't do that well, I think, is timed intermediate passing routes. With guys, it doesn't have to just be deep. Yeah. A 12-yard slant, an 8-yard slant, and out Michael timing routes up, where the ball's in the air before the guy makes the cut and is running when the ball arrives. I don't think that happened at all this year. I can't think of it. Very rare, yeah. And it's I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know why they don't do that. But, like, I watch other teams that are far less talented than Ohio State get it going. I think they want to do that. That's what Austin Carr does for Northwestern. I mean, that yeah. it's just, he, he was a, he was the best slot receiver in the Big Ten. But, yeah. yeah. I just don't know, like, does JT Barrett have situations where the ball needs to be at this specific place at this time, regardless of where the receiver is, not looking at the receiver? And I don't, maybe that's too complex. But, like, the thing that is funny to me is last year's offense might have put up statistically the best numbers in the history of the program or whatever. JT Barrett's breaking all these records, but if you ever watched Ohio State play in 2006, the way Troy Smith distributed the ball to those guys, and Doug covered it, so he knows. Just watching the film of that, it was third down and six. You knew there was going to be a hitch where the ball might be thrown before the guy turns around. Or there's a slant, and it was right at the marker. And they were very good at picking up third downs through the air, and I feel like Ohio State was very incapable of that. Bless and I don't years. know, and I don't know why. I don't know why you. It seems simple. They, You're more athletic than the team that's covering you. Run and get open. And Michael Th- Michael Thomas was good at that when they did it too many times. I he I, turned I, a couple slants. I can see it in my head. Yeah. yeah, he did it against Michigan State. All of a sudden, it's just it's a 12 yard route. You you beat the corner break one tackle by the safety and you're gone. Mm-hmm. And when you have a big physical guy and and think about Michael Thomas is good hands, good route runner because you've got to run a precise route for that to work. And then once the ball gets to you, you're physical enough to break the first tackle, deadly. Um and they it would ni- it would be nice to see them do that. And and maybe again, I mean these kids are 18 and 19 years old right now, but in our heads, I think we can see Jalen Harris and Austin Mack and Trayvon Grimes I feel like Victor. Stuff like that. I feel like Victor had one of those against Clemson, didn't he? Have he one did. Where he came, for, across, yeah, came across the middle and he caught it. Yeah, yeah for a first down. I think part of it is yeah, it's it's on like JT's timing wasn't great, and I think he'd tell you that, and he wasn't very accurate, and the guys weren't open because that's a kind of play where you have you have to be six yards in front of your guy, but you have to have a step on him, and there has to be a window to throw the ball. And I don't know how often that window was there. But that's so. When this was ostensibly about the 2017 offensive depth chart. I think maybe. You can see, I mean, when we talk about those four receiver names I was talking about, when those are your top four receivers, that's going to be either Joe Burrow or Dwayne Haskins or Tate Martell throwing to those guys. Um, and that might work. That might work. Okay. Obviously. Let's talk defense. Let's just do defense now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Three-hour podcast. Um, so we'll stop there. You can always send us questions. We have a couple questions. We'll get that to some of those in the defense. Do we get some questions? Yeah. We'll get to those in the defensive podcast. Um, be reading – all week still, uh, we've gotten a couple up already. We're getting more up. We're breaking it down by position group, the depth chart for the Buckeyes. Um, so it's one of those where they're, they're going to have a lot of guys back. They were la- A year ago, they were replacing 16 starters. This time, they're replacing uh, seven starters. Um, but I think there's still going to be some interesting stuff to wonder about and, and talk about um, with some of the competitions here. So 
Read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Ari Wasserman, at Doug Maurice. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Stitcher. Stitcher, not Stitch Tickler. <laughs> um, if there's another way you want to subscribe and you can't, we'll try to do it that way. Tell us and we'll try to get it fixed because uh, we want you to listen and we want you to read and we want you to give us jobs. So thanks again for listening. For Ari Wasserman, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.